This episode of Consumer VC is brought to you by Ferret. Okay, so let's say you're going to invest in a business or you're considering investment from someone else. How do you actually know if they're legit? Sometimes deals move so fast that it's tough to get that confidence fast. Luckily, there's Ferret, the first relationship intelligence tool for savvy investors and CEOs who need to know who they can trust. Running a quick search on Ferret can give you information like past lawsuits, bankruptcy, fraud allegations, new coverage, and also can be used to verify past successes that they claim. A new relationship is always exciting, but that also means trust is important from the start. To get in front of the line and join Ferret's exclusive early beta where you can be part of the first thousand that have an early look and help influence the product, head over to ferret.ai and use the promo code CONSUMERVC. This episode is also presented by Gorgeous, the number one help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce stores, and can turn your customer support into a private center. We're going to hear from Alex from Princess Polly to learn more. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. Our demographic is Gen Z, and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are, and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Stay tuned after the episode where I chat with Rowan from the Gorgeous team, where he shares three tips to help manage your customer support center during the holidays. Link in show notes to sign up for Gorgeous and to get two months free. Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. My guest today is Doug Hudson, founder and CEO of Tend. Tend has reimagined the entire dental experience with transparent pricing, modern studios, and no judgment ever. Previously, he founded several consumer health companies. In this chat, we discuss building companies in regulated sectors, why he decided to focus on disrupting the dental industry, and how he approaches market expansion. Personally, I can't wait until they come out to Los Angeles. Without further ado, here's Doug. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for coming on the show. You know, Doug, you've built multiple businesses in heavily regulated industries. Why did you choose to build businesses in heavily regulated industries versus businesses that aren't? You know, Mike, I don't know that it's heavily regulated industries that I'm attracted to, but it's sectors of healthcare and specifically ones that people complain about that really draw me in. And the reason being is traditionally, most businesses in healthcare are built around the clinician. But if we can come in with a patient first mindset, you know, a lot of times we're entering with a different point of view and are just able to build something that's dramatically different and something that's better for the patient. And, you know, if you look for businesses that people complain about, it's 
kind of a flag for opportunity, you know, because there's room to improve it. So I love it when we find sectors where there's a low net promoter score because uh, we can come in and drive real improvement. And dental's kind of like that. Everyone goes to the dentist. Most don't have a great experience. It kind of feels like 1984 and it just shouldn't have to. And so when we took a look at dental, we said, how could we come into this category, take a look, turn an experience that's typically a chore or something that people put off and turn it into something that people actually look forward to. And I remember initially when we said, hey, we wanna make people look forward to go to the dentist, people would laugh, but, but that's what we were focused on. Yeah, no, and I, and I really like that, how you phrased it with saying you're interested in how you think about making a difference is how can you direct the conversation to be patient first or a patient first or having that patient first mindset. When you were thinking about what ultimately became TEND and thinking about dental, what were maybe some of what you knew you had to do differently that others weren't doing in order to be patient first, if that makes sense? You know, having just come from orthodontics, a pretty adjacent space, we knew the dental category was absolutely massive. It was $142 billion to spend. Half of it was concentrated in the top 20 markets. You know, it's a business that's recurring. If you do a good job, they keep coming back. But we were blown away that there really hadn't been any innovation on the patient-facing side. And that's what we were trying to do differently. You know, so we started to research it. We started in New York City. And the reason we picked New York was it's the largest dental market. There's $11 billion of dental spend in that one MSA. It's literally twice the size of the industry that I just come from. So, you know, when we were exploring the opportunity on the patient experience side, it just made sense to start going to dentists in New York City. So I spent a few weeks up there. I literally got my teeth cleaned a dozen times and I took detailed notes after each visit. And I didn't have a really good experience in any of them. And I just thought to myself, surely we can do better than this. This is what's fundamentally broken this patient experience. And so what we started out to do was we just said, okay, let's map the current patient journey. You know, we took a blank canvas, we got some post-it notes, it was very linear. And we took a look at each step and we said, how can we improve this with technology? How can we elevate it with hospitality? You know, how can we solve for making people look forward to going to the dentist? And if you think about dental, Mike, it's like, how do you find a dentist? How do you book the appointment? What's it feel like when you show up there? What's the actual service like? How do you pay for it? What does it cost? When does that happen? And we just kept asking ourselves, how do we make this better? And that was the basic recipe to recreate this patient experience. When you come in with that patient first mindset, that's what we mean direct the consumer, going directly to the patient literally building a brand for consumers, not for dentists, not for hygienists. TEND is the first comprehensive oral wellness brand built for consumers. And it's some of the things we talked about. Let's build some tech that empowers our members to take better care of their oral health. Let's build a brand that's approachable and aspirational. You know, it's, it's patient first in everything that we do. And that's what kind of sets up the online experience. So I think what you first said is when you were doing your you know, personal market research and you're going to different dentistries and you're realizing that, um, hey, this is actually not a great experience here. What is like the current experience going into a dentist? Like what about that experience did you hope to change or are changing with TEND that, you re that, that really kind of got you uh, thinking? Yeah, I, I just think the overall experience is 
it's kind of dated. It, it, it's not fresh. It's really not been thoughtfully redesigned. You've seen other entrepreneurs come into categories like One Medical for Primary Care. You've seen Warby Parker do it for vision. No one had done this for dental. And so we took a look at it. Dental is a category that has a net promoter score of one, literally one. So there's nowhere to go but up. And I, I wish I could say that there's one silver bullet, but, but there's lots of things that we're doing differently, Mike. So when we built that patient journey map out, in its current state. One of the things we did was we inventoried each pain point. We said, hey, how can we address that? How can we make it better? And I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, there, there's literally dozens of things that we do differently, but a few of them that jump out at me are, before I started TEND, I hated it when I went to the dentist, that a lot of times I didn't know what that appointment cost until 30 days after the appointment, and my insurer had already paid their part and I got this bill for my patient responsibility. It just didn't seem right. And it doesn't have to be like that. So at 10, after you've booked your appointment, we literally let you online put your insurance information in. We then tell you what the visit costs. We tell you what the insurer is going to cover and then what your out of pocket is going to be. And so we've just moved that to the front. So we've taken something that was a pain point, actually made it something unique to the TEND experience. You know, the second thing in dental is I didn't like the fact that dentists got paid a commission on work they did in your mouth, especially when they're recommending it. And so that was really important to attend that we didn't set up our compensation for our dentists like that. So we pay them a salary. You know, they make a good market rate. And we bonus them based off of NPS. And so now you're aligned. They're incentivized to drive the experience higher and make it better for the patient. Uh, the third thing is all those dental appointments that I went to in New York City, oftentimes those offices were dated. They hadn't been thoughtfully designed. And, you know, there are other companies that have done a good job at this. So environmental design was important to us. So we just thoughtfully built out what that studio would look like. And, you know, it, it's these things and many, many others that's let us deliver an experience that's far exceeding that baseline industry MPS score of one. I mean, right now we're at 73, so it's working. The market's responding well. That's amazing. When you first started TEND, what came first? Obviously, I mean, obviously you had to have both, but what were kind of the first steps when you started of building out like the software and as well as um, thinking of, of, okay, where is our first location even going to be in New York City? There's a lot there. And I'll start with before we even started building software, we said to ourselves, you know, we have lots of ideas. We have lots of theories. You know, we have a really big vision for this industry and refreshing it, but none of us have ever operated a dental clinic. So maybe we just need to start there. And so what we did, Mike, was we literally set up a fully operational dental practice. And this was even before we called it TEND. I mean, it was a beta practice in every sense of the word. We called it, you know, we branded it pretty scrappy. We called it Stella Dental. It was named after our family dog. We didn't build a dental clinic. We actually subleased one in West Soho that wasn't being used a lot. We hired some dentists. We hired some hygienists. We put them in there. We ran some ads. I mean, we literally operated a dental clinic. And each and every week, we refined the workflows. We changed the scripts. We got smarter and smarter about just being a dental operator. And that's what it was about. We ran that, that beta practice for 10 months. We served 1,946 unique patients, but who's counting? You know, but I'll tell you at the end of those 10 months, we were a much better operator. The beautiful thing about going through that beta exercise was 
we now weren't just a team with a vision and a big marketplace. We were literally an executive team with this great honed vision with a financial model that had been iterated 109 times. And it just had a lot of credibility. So when we went to the Series A, they were like, wow, these are the numbers you guys put up? You know, that's what patient acquisition costs started at. And that's where you ended up. That's the average order value of a visit. You know, and it just really empowered us to run a pretty smooth Series A. Uh, I don't know how we could start any services business in the future without going through a similar exercise. That's really cool. So you really took those 10 months to really understand of what it actually takes to run a dental clinic. And then, of course, been able to take those learnings and then obviously start, they kind of go out of beta, raise your Series A and really actually begin to think about, okay, how do we actually scale this? Absolutely. And it pretty much helped us inform how do we build a brand around this patient journey and what we just learned in this operational beta. I mean, because a brand says a lot about what you're going to experience when you go to, to a business, you know, and so we took all those learnings and we said, okay, we know we're solving for this patient experience. We know what it used to be. We know what we've put together. We've got to go find someone to help us build a brand around this. And so we reached out to the guys at Mythology, Anthony and Fernando. I mean, I knew them. I'd worked with them before. I admired the work that they had done. They'd done Warby Parker and Harry's and Allbirds. And I said, Anthony, there's this massive space. It's kind of stale. We think we can build something cool in it. Here's what we've done from a patient journey standpoint. What do you think? And he loved it. And so we kind of started going through their process. And, you know, we sat down and we talked about everything that was bad with dental in its current state. And then we just kind of dreamed big on what could it be if there were no limitations. And then we talked about what were all of our personal preferences. And then we said, all right, what other industries could we draw from to make this better? And they took all that and synthesized it down and gave us a few directions. And we literally took those directions to a lot of those patients we had served at Stella Dental. And we said, hey, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Does this look like a dental practice you'd want to go to? And we, we, we took those ideas and then we sat down with dentists and hygienists that we're working with us and said, does this look cool to you? How does it resonate? Is it aspirational for you? And, you know, I remember when we were sitting in the room and we kind of landed on the word tend, I just smiled because it was the first four letters of the word dental. They were rearranged into a word that said it was going to take care of you. And it was rooted in hospitality, which was a source for so much inspiration for us. I just knew we were in a really good spot. So, you know, we had this vision for a really cool brand. We had this operational track record. We were able to go out and raise some money. And, uh, you know, we were on our way. That's amazing. I always love hearing how founders also approach how they're able to build a brand and, and where actually 10 comes from. And also seeing and making sure well, how you can actually build a aspirational brand and make sure that it, it is also perceived that way um, in the market. How did you approach, um, obviously you had um, a number of customers in the beta um, during those 10 months in uh, while you were in beta and really, really learning, I'm sure, every day about how to run a dental practice. What was your approach once you became TEND? What was your approach to attracting new customers? It was a combination of things. You know, first of all, we knew the brand had to be progressive, amazing. It had to elevate that experience. It really had to make people look forward to the experience, which was kind of laughable at the beginning, but now we hear it back from our customers. But the second thing we knew we needed to focus on was, okay, what technology is going to set us apart? 
How are we going to use technology to improve this experience? You know, at each step of the way, how are we going to use technology to empower our members? Like we talked about the pricing ahead of your visit. But in the online booking flow, when we started to have this crazy idea that, okay, let's not just let them pick the location and the time that they would come in. Let's let them curate their visit. Let our members tell us what they're interested in. Maybe they're interested in orthodontics. Let's get some preference stuff. Maybe they don't want a hygienist that's pretty social. Maybe they just want to be left alone. You know, while they're sitting there, what show on Netflix do they want queued up? All of these things. So it really lets them curate their visit. And we just felt like if you handled all that ahead of time, that instead of them walking into a clinic and getting handed a clipboard and being asked for a credit card and a driver's license and your insurance card, if we had even taken care of all that administrative stuff before you showed up, we could invite them into the studio and, you know, invite them into our brushery where they could try out dental products and freshen them before their appointment. So, you know, because technology was so key to the first part of that journey, it just made sense to us to start with digital growth strategies to drive consumer demand. And so that's why we biased and indexed towards, you know, social and search engines to get started. But the most important part of attracting customers for us was we just had to recruit a rock star to our executive team to kind of lead this effort because we had made the strategic decision that TEND wasn't going to go acquire dental practices. We were going to build them from scratch. So we knew we had to fill them up and that this was a critical role. So, you know, we ran a super long search. We were blessed to land Matt Fitzgerald. He's freaking an amazing CMO and he's a proven winner. I mean, he came to us from HelloFresh where he had grown that business from 10 million in revenue to a billion in revenue in four years. And his approach is working. I mean, we can have consistently seen a decrease in our patient acquisition costs since inception. And Matt's team fills up those studios faster than we can build them. That's our problem right now. I think it's just a real testament to what a great product market fit we've established with Tint. That's great. Always having surplus demand. That's a great thing. Why did you decide then in your strategy, when you thought about expansion, of course, there's there's a whole buy versus build aspect. And why did you just decide to build your own dental practice from scratch as opposed to buy other dental clinics? We just wanted to be different. And environmental design is really important to us. We didn't know how we could go in and buy an, a, just a traditional dental practice and make it look and feel like tent. I mean, so it starts with even... How do you pick the first location? I mean, most dental practices in New York City are like on the 27th floor of some office building in some neighborhood. And we just wanted to be different. So we started looking for street level retail. You know, we wanted a cool neighborhood with a mix of residential and commercial. You know, we wanted to be in a building with character that was on brand for 10. And we landed in Flatiron on 21st between Park and Broadway. Great location. You know, and so we built it out. It's beautiful. Environmental design is important to us. And I remember when we were finished building it out, we're getting excited. We're getting ready to turn the marketing on. We're just thinking, man, I hope people show up. You know, we had this big, crazy goal of could we book 300 patient appointments in that first week? And when we turned it on, we got crushed. I mean, we got slaughtered. We booked 1,400. I mean, we picked the right location. The brand was working. The website was working. Our mistake was we had just built too small. That studio only has five seats. And now we build double the size. And we don't have just one location in New York. We've got seven. And by the end of the year, we're going to have 11. So we just, we didn't think you could go buy a practice and turn it into 10. We think you got to build it from the ground up. 
That's amazing. I'm also curious, since 10, obviously, it's such a different experience than, of course, like incumbents and, you know, maybe your, your quote unquote, regular dental clinics. And of course, you're, you're really trying to focus on, obviously, the experience, which is what it should be about, right? The actual consumer patient um, experience. What I'm also curious about is the experience, I'd imagine, also is very much tied to the dentist itself. And is there any part of when you hire a dentist for one of your clinics, is there any maybe areas that maybe you might focus on where another dental practice might not? I don't know that we think about it like that, Mike, but what we think about is standard of care. And we want someone that's just great at their craft. And so only 5.2% of the dentists that apply actually earn a slot at 10. I mean, it's an aspirational place to want to come to work. I mean, look at the environmental design. It's beautiful. Look at the technology in the studio. It's cutting edge. It, it's a brand that's got street cred. I mean, people like to come to tend and feel cool that they picked a cool dentist and they refer their friends. And the demand is through the roof. And so dentists get to step into a tend practice and not have to worry about any of that. They just have to treat patients. And they're not getting paid a commission on pushing procedures. They're getting paid on patient satisfaction. So it's really a win-win for everybody. We don't think about what the other guys are or aren't doing. We just tried to set up not only a brand for consumers, but also a studio environment that was attractive for top-tier clinicians to want to join and come in. That's kind of how we think about it. No, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. How do you also approach expansion when you start a new clinic, um, it seems like, as you describe it, you have a swell of people that are, they get really excited for a new clinic. How do you maybe like build up that demand when you actually do launch a new clinic? And it could be, maybe let's first talk about a new clinic in the same city. And then also how you think about expanding geographically into a new city altogether. First and foremost, we've just got a laser focus on metro markets. I mean, think the top 20 markets in the USA, cities with pro sports franchises, that's where we want to be because that's where half the spend is. And that's the concentration of people. And those are markets that are complex and they're expensive to build. And there's expensive rents there. And, you know, people are demanding and have lots of choices in these metro markets. And we view that as moats, you know, it lets us come in there, maybe go after something that's been ignored by others. And so, you know, we look at a variety of things though when we're stack ranking markets, when we're stack ranking sites and how do we pick, you know, there's probably 15 to 20 data points, Mike, you know, I'll hit a few of them. You know, we look at the amount of dental spend in a market, you know, New York City is the largest, $11 billion in spend, it made sense to start there. You know, the, we, we look at dental insurance rates. We wanna be in markets where we get paid appropriately you know, for the services we're providing. 10 feels like an expensive dentist, but it's just not. We expect, reg we take regular reimbursements. We just got to make sure that those reimbursement rates line up with our cost structure. The other thing we look for in these markets is what's the digital demand forecast? You know, are enough people engaged in looking? No, and then it's not just all patient demand. Is there an available pool of quality clinicians in that marketplace. And so we really take a look at that. What we've learned is great dentists, great hygienists want to live in great cities. That's New York, that's DC, that's Boston, you know, and that's where we're starting, you know, and then we look at all the other things. What are the rental rates? What's it cost to build? All of that. It's just got to make economic sense from a capital expenditure standpoint. You know, we've got a big roadmap. We're, we look forward to bringing 10 to a large group of people, but you know, right now we're focused in kind of that Northeast corridor. DC comes online next month. 
And what we're doing different in that new market is we're not repeating the mistake we made in New York where we only opened one and got crushed. We're opening four. You know, we'll go into Boston with a couple, you know, and expand from there. So when we go into a marketplace, we want to become that dominant progressive dental brand. So I know you talked briefly about how after you had that 10-month beta period, you went and you raised your Series A. What was that experience like fundraising? What was your approach and how did you pick your partners? You know, I'll just kind of focus on our Series A first. You know, after our beta clinic at Stella, we just put together a deck, a basic fundraise pitch deck. And, you know, we had a financial model we had revised 109 times during that 10 months. So we were constantly iterating on it. And so we were pretty selective. We handpicked a few top firms that just got consumer-facing businesses. I mean, we spent a half day in New York City. We spent a full day in San Francisco. We had lots of options within a week. And we didn't over-index for valuation. I mean, we picked who we liked the most and who referenced the best. And it was Annie Cadavi at Redpoint. You know, we gave her the A. She's been great. I'd have given her a 10 if she'd sent me an NPS survey. And, and I know we made the right choice. She's been such a supportive sponsor through this process. Been pretty easy for us. The Series B, Google Ventures came in, John Lyman. They had relevant experience at One Medical as an early investor. And so they saw what we were doing in dental and it just made sense to them. And so, you know, that was a pretty short process. And, and then our Series C, we were off cycle. We didn't even have a deck or a revised financial model. We weren't out in the marketplace but we knew Lee Fixlet addition and, you know, we'd had some conversations with him and he knew what we were doing. And he just said, you know, I want to do this. You guys need more. You've got to go faster. And so been pretty easy for us. And I think we've just been blessed with an amazing set of capital partners. We got a world-class capital stack that enables us to go refresh a massive category. I couldn't complain about anything. That's amazing. I mean, congrats. That's um, that's awesome. And I always just love learning how the rounds come together and as well as how you choose. I mean, it seems like you're in a very great spot where you're able to really choose your partners and who you want to work with, which not many entrepreneurs have that luxury, which is just amazing. Uh, but it also shows too, like really the the conviction investors really had in Tend and in you, which is just unbelievable and just awesome. I think people just get it. Everybody's got teeth. Everybody goes to the dentist. They know you can't give yourself a filling at home. You can't clean your teeth at home. And so it's just this durable form of retail that works. And uh, when they take a look at the economics of a patient and they take a look at the economics of a studio, they just step back and say, okay, it just takes more studios. And so we're blessed to be in a category that's large enough to attract that type of interest. As well, I know that obviously you were paying very close attention when you first were thinking about starting 10 on NPS score since it was hovering around one. And now I know 10's in the in the 70s, which is which is awesome and such an amazing, amazing improvement in terms of what, what else is out there. But of all the things you described, transparency and pricing, you know, overall consumer experience, maybe like the overall environment of, you know, just making a dental practice that's just attractive to actually want to go to, what do you think most contributes to a higher NPS score, if you had to say one thing? You know, the thing that drives the patient experience the most in the beginning, which is what helps growth, is our environmental design. I mean, it's just really important to us. Uh, I love it when members come in for the first time and actually can't believe this is a dental clinic because dental is a category that's historically had a lot of people associate anxiety with it 
or they don't want to go or they feel guilty because they haven't been in years. So it was important that our brand and that studio design was soothing, that it was calm, it was approachable, but aspirational. And we just wanted people when they walked through that front door to immediately know that the experience was going to be different. And that's why that brushery is important. I mean, it's a lighted mirror. It's that crazy wall covering. You get to sample all those dental products. It's such an Instagrammable moment. And you see that stuff show up in Instagram and, and on social feeds. And so we do those things because it just feels like it naturally offsets anxiety and makes you look forward to going to the dentist. I mean, we literally went to the hospitality industry and said, okay, where are places that people want to go? And it was fine restaurants, luxury hotels, spas. And so we wanted tend to feel like that. Look at our color palette. It's soft. It's soothing. You know, when you walk in, it feels like a spa. And so I just think, I think that's a really big driver to get people to feel comfortable to re-engage in their oral health again, to look forward to coming back at six months. And it drives a lot of referability. They go back to work and say, that place was amazing. And they take our dental insurance. So if I had to pick one thing, I think our dev team just did such a great job on the environmental design. I love that. What was your then approach at the very beginning? Like, were there certain aspects when you designed like the interior to tend where it maybe brought out elements that maybe let the patient feel calm and maybe acceptance, acceptance meaning maybe they hadn't been in the to a dentistry in, in a few years? We just didn't want it to feel clinical. So, I mean, think of some of the words that we use. We say members, not patients. You don't check in at reception. It's a welcome bar. You know, it's a brushery to freshen up. You go back to a suite. And these are the type of things we tried to infuse into the experience. You know, one of the first things was how do we solve pain points with technology, but how can we elevate the experience with hospitality? And so we try to put those lenses on everything that we do. No, it's great. It's great. What's on the horizon uh, for 10? I can see you're expanding rapidly. When also, selfishly, when also are you going to be in Los Angeles since that's where I'm located? We will be on the West Coast next year. That's all we can say. So uh, we are looking at multiple markets out there. And we know when we jump to Mississippi, we want to kind of hit it from north to south. So LA is definitely on the roadmap. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know you also have like a consumer products uh, side as well. When did you start that line of you know toothbrushes, and how do you think about uh, product expansion when it comes to like the consumer product side of your business? When you look at ten, there's really three legs to the stool. You know, we started with services. That was the first piece. It's the most complex, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize we're more than just general dentistry. We're hygiene, we're restorative, we're also orthodontics, and we're oral surgery specialty. So it's full service dentistry, and that's a pretty complex operation to pull off. And so we've deployed that in New York City. We're going to replicate that in each market. And just remember, you know, Tend isn't even two years old yet. We launched October of 2019 at that first studio in Flatiron. You know, the second piece, the second leg of the stool is technology, it's our digital front door. Every single month, more functionality comes online to improve the experience. And so we've got an app called Smart Mouth. And so that's something we're investing in. That's the second leg of the stool. The third leg of the stool is the consumer products piece. Think about a full set of oral care products to help you take care of your mouth that don't prematurely age your mouth. 
you know, that aren't harsh. It's very on brand for TEND. We want TEND to be the only brand you have to think of for comprehensive oral wellness. And, you know, if you've got a healthy mouth, you're probably only going to see us twice a year. We just want to be there with you every single day to take care of your mouth. I don't want to go into a lot of detail about our consumer products because they're launching at the end of this year. We're excited. I think they're a game changer in dentistry. And, uh, you know, there's some real good stuff we're excited about launching. I just don't want to steal that team's thunder. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Also, thanks so much for really presenting like these kind of three stools to your business and really how you think about the overall structure of 210 moving forward. I always ask the question to entrepreneurs, what's one thing you would change about the fundraising process? But how it sounds like it, you probably don't want to change much from it, uh, considering your experience. You know, if I had to create something, it'd be fake. It's been great for us. Our partners are amazing. It's been very good for us. I think great deals get funded. Great. Great, great. That's awesome. Um, what is one book that inspired you professionally and one book that inspired you personally? It was a while back. There was a book that Eric Topol wrote. It's called The Patient Will See You Now. And I just, it's like essential reading for anyone wanting to understand how technology can shift the power from the clinician to the patient. And it's that type of trend we're encouraged about at Tend and why we've invested so much in Smart Mouth and our digital front door. I mean, it's just so on our investment thesis. And so, I highly encourage it to any entrepreneur thinking about changing the game in some sector of healthcare. So that would be the the professional book. On a, on a personal level, I'm going through a book with some close friends right now. It's called The True Measure of a Man, kind of helping me reframe how I define myself as a husband, father, entrepreneur. So, and what's truly important. And that's great. Both of them sound really, really um, interesting. And you are so original. No one else has brought up these two books. And so really excited to add it to our book list. Uh, this is great. What's the best piece of advice that you've received? It was the late 90s. I just started my first business. We were selling hearing aids online. And my dad, who had been in the hearing aid industry for 30 years, said to me, Doug, if you just take care of the pay first, everything else is going to take care of itself. Money's going to come. Your business will grow. And that's the way he grew his business. I mean, he was just a true operator. And to me, it just felt like a pure way to help people by putting their needs first. And if you put the patient first, the rest will come. And, and I think that's what we try to do at Tend every single day. I really do love that line um, as you say it. My last question for you is, what's one piece of advice you have for founders? Man, just be extremely, I mean, extremely selective in the opportunity you go after. I mean, these business builds from scratch, they can take a decade. So just be wise what you're going to go spend your life on. And I kind of have this decision matrix when I'm thinking about what do I want to go spend that much time on. It's, you know, I look for businesses that people complain about because I know I can drive improvement. You know, meaningful recurring revenue is just critical. I mean, it was missing in the last business I built. And I just, I didn't want to repeat that mistake. And the third thing is just make sure the industry is big enough that you can build a massive business. I mean, if you're going to spend 10 years of your life on something, dream huge. And, uh, you know, I, I think those things might keep some guys out of the ditch. Yeah, those are great points. I really like that you said maybe you can sense an opportunity if you see actually a lot of people complaining about something. Yeah, yeah. Right? So almost like opportunity from complaining. That's um, that's a really cool way to think about it. Absolutely. Well, Doug, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And there you have it. It was terrific chatting with Doug. Now let's hear from Rohan from Gorgeous. Rohan, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing very well, Mike. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. 
I would love to learn a bit more about your company, Gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Gorgeous is an e-commerce-focused help desk. We are an omni-channel solution. We aggregate a bunch of different channels that brands utilize to communicate with their customers. Uh, things like email, chat, phone, SMS, social media, um, any way really to get in touch with potential customers or customers that are looking to buy from your brand. What we do at Gorgeous is we build in a lot of automation and machine learning into the back end of the product. A lot of times what customers are asking to brands is, where's my order? What's my shipping status? Things that are very common and very repetitive. Uh, and what we do at Gorgeous is we help brands automate certain things so that they don't have to spend a lot of time focusing on those common and repetitive requests, but that they can actually spend a lot of time focusing on things that are much more complex in order to drive revenue uh, out of the CX function. So what we do is we actually integrate with uh, three platforms, Shopify, Magento2, and Big Commerce. And what we can do with those platforms is we can actually bring in variables um, from each of the three, things like order number, name, shipping information, tracking information, things that are easily accessible without ever having to leave the Gorgeous platform. And that makes things so much easier for the agents on the brand side of things to get back in touch with customers and make sure that they're helping them in the most efficient way possible. And I always like to talk about uh, social media as well. We have ad comments from Facebook and Instagram. We have Messenger. And we also have Instagram DMs, which is one of our most widely requested features uh, all across our customer base that we can actually bring into the gorgeous platform and help brands communicate with customers and prospective customers, uh, you know, perhaps before they ever hit their website. And so we're very e-commerce focused. We have about 7,000 brands all across the spectrum from early stage east, uh, from early stage e-commerce to much later stage mature companies as well. And we're also very international. That's awesome. So you're able to, with Gorgeous, to uh, brands can consolidate all requests that they get from customers, all the customers' tickets, asking where their orders are in one location. Sounds like it's going to save a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like gone are the days where brands are just using email to communicate with with their customers, right? They're using email, they're using social media, SMS is something that brands are really utilizing, especially over the last year or so. There's so many different ways to get in front of customers. CX is much more of a proactive activity now than it ever has been, as opposed to just purely reactive. And at Gorgeous, we help brands make things more efficient from, from an aggregation and automation perspective. So you have over 7,000 customers, which is amazing, 7,000 brands. From your perspective, when does it make sense for a brand to be thinking about partnering with Gorgeous or be using Gorgeous? It's a good question. Really, our baseline set of requirements is that, you know, they sit on Shopify or, or Big Commerce or Magento too. And that with the integrations that we have with those three platforms, that immediately makes any brand that's uh, looking to consolidate tickets uh, qualified customer for us, right? And so we have customers that are doing, you know, say 300 to 350 tickets a month, and maybe they're just using a couple different channels like just email and, and phone, for example. And then we have much more mature brands on the enterprise level that are accepting tens of thousands of tickets uh, and have multiple, multiple agents on the brand side working to get back to customers. And one of the things that we do differently at Gorgeous is we actually don't price based on the number of heads that you have using Gorgeous on the brand side. So we're not going to charge you for each additional user that you have on the platform. We're actually just going to charge based on ticket volume. And, and that's how we determine where on the spectrum you are. And for that reason, it generally, in combination with all the automation we build in, it tends to be very cost effective for brands. And not only are they saving potentially on that side of things, but they're also able to generate sales through the automation and machine learning that we have built in. And it gives a bunch of people access to the platform. So if someone on the engineering team wants to hop in or the CEO wants to hop in, 
they can do so. And it's not going to cost the brand anymore. That's awesome. That's awesome. As we're approaching the holidays here, what are three tips for managing the customer experience that you have for the brand? Since obviously in retail, the holiday period is the busiest time. Number one um, is personalize all your interactions with customers. The worst thing that you can do as a brand is make your customers feel like they're just a number, not an actual person. And in the event where you're not getting back to customers in a sufficient amount of time, or you're not getting them the right answer, or you're not addressing them by name, it's very likely that a combination of these things, or even one of these things, is going to convince that customer to go to a different brand. I mean, there's so much competition out there nowadays that consumers are willing to pay a couple extra bucks just for that more personal interaction with the brand. And so make sure you're personalizing that interaction with your customers and making them feel like you want to have a relationship with them long term. Number two is automate frequently asked questions. Uh, I talked a little bit about this earlier, but one of the most common requests we see, uh, especially in the DTC environment with brands, is, you know, where's my order? What's my shipping? status? When is it going to get here? Questions that you and I have both asked in the past as well. And we're finding that agents are spending way too much time manually responding to these kinds of requests. And it's not allowing them to focus on really getting in front of prospective new customers um, via a number of other different channels. And so what we can do with the integrations is we can bring in the variables like name, order information, tracking information. Um, and we could set rules in the background to automatically respond to customers if they were to, for example, ask about shipping or, or status of their order. And that's just one example. But there are a number of other ways that, that brands can use automation. The important thing there, obviously, is to not overuse automation. There, There's only so much that you can do with, with that piece of the equation. And if you do overuse it, then that takes away from point number one, which is personalization. And number three, find opportunities to drive revenue through, through customer support. Customer support, as I mentioned earlier, is no longer just a, a reactive piece of the organization. It's much more proactive nowadays. So institute live chat campaigns. Hop on a page in front of a customer uh, basically inducing them to make a purchase by telling them something that they want to hear or helping them out in, in making a decision in terms of product in your website. Utilize social media. If somebody comes in and comments on one of your ads and says they love this product that you posted, respond to them directly in line from within Gorgeous and provide them with a discount code to induce them to come to your website. Institute SMS campaigns. SMS is, is being widely adopted across the industry now, especially over the last year or so. And if you have a new product launch, announce it via SMS. People are on their phones all the time. And chances are they're at least going to click through that link to get to your website and take a look at what you have to offer, especially if they've been customers of yours in the past. And, and if they haven't, then it's a chance to, to gain new customers. So be proactive, not reactive is point number three. And you know, if you combine those three things, I think you're going to have a successful BFCM. No, I love that. I love that. So in just to recap, number one, personalize all interaction with customers. We, we talk a lot about on the show about the trend of uh, personalizing products. Well, also personalize those interact with customers as well when they do have maybe uh, some pain points. I mean, it goes so far. In your second point, automate frequency or, or have an FAQ sheet um, absolutely makes total sense. And the third point I love, which is turning your customer experience or your customer service center from a cost center into a revenue driver. And I think that is pretty amazing um, idea and also really cool because then you get, then you can also influence a repeat rate. And at the same time, if you don't have a great customer service center, if that's not fully baked out and you maybe aren't personalized with customers, then they might churn and you might lose them to a competitor. So that's awesome, Rohan. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.